and today it's my great pleasure to interview the group CIO of the Liberty Group. And with us is Benjamin Marais. Benjamin, how did a guy that studied electronics engineering end up as a CIO? How did all of that happen? Tell us a bit about your history, your highs, your lows, your disappointments, your wins, your losses. Hi, Yusuf. Thank you for that one. Um, you made me think there for a second. <laughs> Jeez, like it. When you're close to 50, you have to take your brain back many years. But okay. Yes, I started that, uh, my life off as an electronic engineer. Funny enough, I always used to fi- fix electronic kits when I was a child. So my dad used to buy me these little kits you can bolt electronic stuff. And I think that's where my life started for electronics. So I ended up at the uh, University of Pretoria, studied four years uh, electronic engineering degree. And uh, yeah, like any young uh, student, you, uh, you were actually faced with an option or, cho- or choices. And uh, I, I did think, should I go for my PhD or get into the workplace? Uh, I decided to go to the workplace, um, which I'm happy about, actually. I have to admit, looking back at my life, I don't know if I, I'm cut out to be a, a researcher much or a researcher. Um, from the University of Pretoria, I started to do some national service, so I went to the Air Force first. Those were the days you had no choice, um, which I don't think is a great thing, but it had to be done. Um, and the Air Force, you did, uh, I was lucky enough to play with, uh, with aircraft, so at least that was fun <laughs> for a few years, two years. And uh, yeah, I uh, met, uh, that's where I actually met two, uh, two colleagues of mine. Um, in the, in the Air Force, both of them engineers and studied Stellenbosch at that point in time. I left the Air Force. Yeah, I know, I know. I have to. I have told them that many times. Um, but I decided to go uh, go out and, and do my first uh, real job. So I worked for a company called Sames. Now that's very interesting because it sounds like a sandwich almost, which probably is not far off because they made silicon wafers like Intel. Of course, we weren't on the same level as Intel, but uh, South Africa has that capability there north of Pretoria. It's very strange. When you go to the place, they in between the, the scrapyards and the mechanics and fix your cars, and this this building, not very impressive. But they on the bottom, in the in underneath, they had a proper proper clean room. So you have to dress up like a guy in a spacesuit, walk around in the clean room. And as a process engineer, we are hey, we manufactured various chips that was used those days in telecoms and, and other industries in South Africa. Anyway, I, the time they actually gave me an opportunity to start my own business. Because as the engineer, process engineer, you had four days on and four days off because uh, you worked like shifts, days and nights, which was very difficult because your body never gets used to it. And in my four days off, actually, I started my own business with my two colleagues I met in the Air Force. And that's really where my love started to become for, I guess, being an entrepreneur and innovation. We eventually started our own business. That led uh, myself to be uh, bought out by a, co- a company that was listed on a stock exchange then. They just went on. From there, we partnered with a UK-based company, which was specifically focused on the mobile phone space. Those days, we're talking 1994, 1995 here. And I eventually ended up in the UK working for the company for five years. Um, Very lucky, because I used to travel all the way from America to Asia. And uh, my claim to fame there is is we implemented extreme programming in Agile as well. Extreme programming was quite difficult, because those were the, or pay programming as it's known today. Very difficult business case, because uh, business don't understand why two people have to code on the same keyboard, but it, it, um, it gave us some good results. And I think I had one of the first teams ever in the world, almost, that had Agile following the sun. So we had a team in Seattle, a team in the UK, and a team in Singapore. 
And after about a year and a half or so, we managed to actually pass code around. We did stand-ups. Remember, those are the days before Skype. You know, it's Skype and all that. Video conferencing was very difficult, but we had a stand-up in the morning in the UK with our friends from Singapore that was going to bed, and then in the evening you had a stand-up with the guys in America and so forth. But it was a lot of fun. Uh, always said I want to come back to Africa. It was an experiment for me to go overseas, learn, get some money, and, and earn some money in travel. Travel is very easy when you're in the UK, obviously. And um, came back after five years. I had a coffee with uh, an ex-colleague of me, and he said to me, what are you, uh, you know uh, the Lazan Himan that runs the e box and she was looking for a CIO. Uh, why didn't I go and apply for it? And I did, and I was lucky to be on the short list and picked for, uh, for the CIO for e box I didn't have one at that point. Very interesting uh, part of my career. Uh, it was the first time I joined an exco where everyone on the exco was female. I was the only man on the exco. <laughs> First time that the chairs you sit on was these bouncing balls, you know, very dynamic. And eBucks was quite dynamic in the sense because they were part of the first run group at that point in time. And the first run group used the eBucks as a bit of a innovating space because you could innovate and try different things. And I enjoy my time there. Claim to fame there. Two things, I guess, uh, that I would uh, feel proud of. The one is uh, we were the first to manage to use fuel, uh, buy fuel with eBucks in a non-rand currency. The innovation there, funny enough, was a regulatory innovation because we we proved to the fuel industry that the e-bucks is actually backed by RAND. I mean, the e-bucks account is actually a RAND account in FMB, and they were cool. And if you think about uh, Pick and Pay, Raymond Ackerman, they've been trying this for years. So that was us, and we, we did came third, I think, that year, or somewhere we did win a prize in the FMB innovation uh, thing for, for having e-bucks paid for fuel. Now everyone does it. And then the other one was, um, uh, I was part of the team that brought PayPal here, and it was the first African country to add full PayPal switched on in those days. And that's also an interesting story one day to talk about. A few things there, there was a few innovation, the, the FMB mainframe had to connect uh, to web services to PayPal, and the mainframe guys told us, no, it's not gonna happen. The, the guy that was our, our relationship or liaison and officer or whatever to SAP said, the Reserve Bank's gonna tell you no. Uh, Michael Ordan himself actually and so forth said to us, well, we can go for it, good luck, but I don't think it's going to happen. And PayPal, we eventually contacted PayPal, which, by the way, doesn't have a telephone number. We had to literally find under, like, clandestine almost a telephone number. Told us, well, uh, great, but we don't even know what Africa is. But we got it all right after a few years. The mainframe connected. Uh, the SAP said to us, they called us in the 24th of December, the day before Christmas, eventually to come and present our case. And uh, the chair opened this the meeting to say, why haven't you brought it, this to us earlier? And it turns out the SAP was never against PayPal. The SAP actually, as you all know, you in the bank, is about balance of payment. They just want to know what you're doing with the money. And PayPal have a huge uh, amount of records that they keep because as an American company, they know exactly what you do with the money. And... Um, yeah, the rest is history. I mean, they've been running it for quite a while. So that was my claim to fame there, and lots of other things we've done. Moved on to uh, Discovery, which is uh, obviously now a competitor. And uh, Discovery, I was responsible for Vitality International to roll that out. There again, we did uh, Vitality in America and in Asia, a few countries there, and so forth, which was also very uh, interesting in a sense to develop and deliver code to companies overseas while you're based in South Africa. And from Vitality, I went to MT in South Africa, and from there, I ended up at Liberty. So a bit of a long one, but try to keep it brief. No, that's very interesting, because I think, um, Benjamin, what you do well is everybody which we speak to, or when we speak to about Agile tells you the story, we're doing Scrum, we're doing 
boards. We're doing, you've done agile without doing agile. You're actually agile without even trying to be agile. So how would you dissect agile from your world? So forget the methodologies. When you look at something, how do you know it's agile? That's an interesting question, that, actually, because I've been giving a lot of thought recently. Um, because of liberty and where we are at the moment, one of the things we realized we need to change the way we work. And uh, you, you'll find a few of the executives, including myself, does w use the word agile or agility. And I've been saying to my team exactly that, you know, what does it really mean? Because it isn't just about the methodology. That's just a way of doing it. But for, me, for Benjamin, what does it mean? I mean, I look at Agile, and I, and I think it's no different to how everything in life actually operate. It's, uh, it's iterative, and you have to take one step at a time. Look at your personal life. I'm sure lots of us have examples where, you know, you, you look back and the, where you are today is because of small steps you've taken. It wasn't really that you've taken a, a big step or had a waterfall thinking of your life. I mean, yes, we've got ideas we want to end up but you still uh, change. And uh, that's why I look at Agile. Agile is the classic example of we want to drive down to Cape Town or we want to go to Cape Town, sorry, and you can choose a uh, different route and you can adjust your route and you can fly and you can drive and you can run, doesn't matter. But it's small steps, iterative all the time. And that's my philosophy. Things has to be in small chunks because you can actually manage it. It's, it is a bit of a challenge personally as well because I'm a, I used to play chess a lot, not as much. And the challenge of chess is almost the opposite. Chess is a long-term thinking thing. So those two things in my mind clashes sometimes. I have an argument to myself. You want to think forward 10, 20 moves, and then you go, well, actually, that's not going to help you. Small, small steps. Anyway, that's my view of Agile. You have to treat it as life, actually. Uh, but it's interesting you mentioned now about um, chess. Did Big Blue and all of those things where computers now play better than humans ever took the joy of chess away from you, or is it still one of your latent passions? No, it's still a passion. When I was at, uh, I think, Standard 5 or Standard 6, I can't remember, Standards, what a grade nowadays, eight. my dad actually bought me my first little chess computer. And funny enough, my, my, my aim was to beat it at the highest level, and I eventually got it. But it was, uh, it was tough because at the, at the top level, only at eight levels or so, one of these chessboards, it did think like for hours, you know, and the, it was tough because you get bored. <laughs> so you had to move and go away. But uh, no, I didn't. I mean, I, I still enjoy it. Uh, from time to time, I play on my phone. It's just, uh, I think it keeps your brain active. But here's maybe a slightly odd question for you. What lessons can you extract from chess for real, to apply to real life? And I know people have written books on this, but I'm not going to prompt you with that just yet. For you, you know, like openings, middle game, end game, all of those type of things, um, what can you take from chess to your job today? Yeah, Yusuf, you, uh, you make me smile at the moment because I've uh, had this discussion with my wife the other day as well. Uh, she's doing coaching at the moment and, learn, and learning about coaching styles, which is an interesting point because... You have to use feeling words and check in and check out. But, okay, the reason I bring it in is that chess, as I said, is typically a, a longer-term thinking. And uh, I've always uh, thought that's something I'm good at is I can – it's a bit like strategy. You have to think further ahead. And, yeah, you're right, you have your opening, your mid, and your end. And it, it's it's more about, for me, the, the randomness that can happen and how do you minimize that. And, again, chess does almost teach that for you. you. You try to think of all the possible options there – can be in the different stages and then you apply it to your life. 
the reason I brought my wife up is because we were talking about it as well and through some of the sessions that she's been doing. And it's, it's actually, again, in life, sometimes the opposite is more relevant, as I said. Rather look at things one day at a time, one step at a time, especially when there's a lot of pressure on you. And we both work in environments like that. IT is a pressure world. In IT, you should have strategy, definitely. But I think you must be careful to try to resolve everything with strategy. You're going to have to make sure you take the small steps one at a time uh, to also get through it. And, and I think that's the thing where, where chess probably, I guess, teach you a little bit of both. Um, because you also get a, a version of chess where you, you have to complete the game in 10 minutes. In Afrikaans, you say blitzkog. Uh, so, and there, you don't really have time for the future, and you have to take it one step at a time. Um, but yeah, I think life is, for me, personally, very relevant between the, because you have to think of everything possibly that can happen and try to minimize the risk. Now, why I mentioned and why it's so interesting when you said chess, I once read the book The Art of Learning, which is by Joss Whiteskin. I don't know if I pronounce it right, but he was a chess grandmaster. I'm not sure if he's a grandmaster, but he won at school all of the, uh, the American chess competitions while at school, best in the country, all of that type of stuff. And then I think in his early 20s, he stopped playing totally, like totally, and he switched over to, it's called software, and it's like a type of judo, and became a world master in that as well, which is, so what he wrote about is what, what were the stuff you do in chess, because it's not the game, it is how you approach it, and how he followed the same type of patterns, and he could become a grandmaster, or you know, I don't know what they call them, but best in the world, he won the world competition in, um, in this judo type thing. And when you read that, the amount of time people put in, the concentration, the patience, the just playing lots of people and learning from it, and after each game, trying to learn how to get better, that left a real impression on me that, you know, it's not the nature of the game really, but it's how you approach these things. Very true. It's actually very true, and I mean, now that you mention it, it's quite interesting. I guess the, even in his career where he had to do a different skill, you'd still apply the same as how do you approach it. It's a bit like engineering for me. I always said the big thing you remember is when you study engineering is not so much all the theory. The big thing that they, they teach you there is the, how, to, how, to, how to solve the problem by identifying the problem, for example. Yes. Same concept. Once you know that, you can apply that anywhere in your life. Once you identify the problem, the rest is easy. <laughs> yeah, no, you're right, because spot on because I have this colleague Carl Fuchs every time when I ask him something he says what problem are you trying to, to solve and now I remember he also studied electrical engineering or electronic engineering in at the University of Pretoria so I think it's part of that whole culture yeah, the yeah. DNA define your problem from the start now as a CIO Benjamin and you guys are on this agile journey now what you said iterative is part of it, but if you have to, th to think three or four years from now and you have to say, we sometimes use this phrase, in our time, in my time, when you look back, what do you want to see and say, you know what, in my time that has happened? That's also a very good question because um, I've been giving that also a lot of thought. Uh, as I said earlier on, when you get a bit older in life, you do start to think, what are you going to leave behind as a legacy? And, and I do see liberty as, a, as part of that of my career. So, yes, it, the two sort of goes hand in hand. Interesting, if you've been to the Liberty Building in Bramfontein, maybe just to give you a bit of my view. I mean, the building, I think, is over 30 years old. I think someone told me once. 
But if you look how the building is designed, it's got this big open atrium in the middle. And you can literally, on standing on the floor, you can see across to the other side of the floor and a little bit up and a little bit down. And I thought, you know, if we ever, obviously, uh, uh, you know, when they originally built the building and, uh, and, and Donald Gordon and that, I'm sure, had a big input there, Agile and those things weren't around. But that building lends itself to Agile as a, as a th methodology, the whole concept of co-location and be visible. Because it's open, you can almost create a fully open space. Now, I'm saying that again is because if I look back three years from now, I would love to see when the building has changed to support the way we work. Because I think the building almost in its DNA unknowingly has that ability to be open and create a bit of space there for people to move around. But the real thing for me that would be a, a big one is that it's the first time in my career anyway, and since I've got exposed to the whole um, Agile methodology, where I do believe the business and the IT teams are ready at the same time. Often it's the opposite. Normally IT is more ready than business, or wherever you look at it. And because of that, I think we can actually implement, not to say a purist, but get Agile implemented the way you would like to see it, where business and IT do you know, work together, collaborate, and, and, and you start to break down almost structures and org structures. The self-management teams comes uh, into play. And I was thinking today even the structure that I'm currently being looking at, because we're going through an op model, I mean, I would like to actually see that structure do not exist in three years, and it is a typical engineering chapter structure, and you try to put the right people together. I want to see a network. I want to see everyone just working together. It doesn't matter who you are. And I think Liberty can actually do some of that, because one, it's not a big company. You don't have to change thousands and thousands of people the way of working. And yes, I know we're not just, I mean, the Bramfontein building is not our only building, but it's one of the big ones. You could almost create the whole space with the people and the business. And that, for me, would be a plus, because then I can say all the things I've learned, speaking about earlier on, and where I've got now, we, we, we can prove that uh, the new way of working in a true sense is true. And uh, I would, I mean, I know Alpheus is saying the same, but, you know, there shouldn't be this thing of business and IT. It should be there is liberty. Look what they do. Done. <laughs> so your in your time, if you look back, so I just want to distill this thing because talking to a like guy like yourself, you can learn so much and you need to get to the core. So after three or four years, you want to say business and IT are together, aligned one. That would be your legacy. It's aligned in one. They work in a way that has broken down silos and organizational structures. Um, and I almost, got my, I almost got myself out of a job, actually. That would be quite... Uh, I would be actually proud of that because you only really need people like me when you have a structure, right? Mm. When you have self-managed teams, someone like uh, Benjamin, group CIO, doesn't really need to exist. doesn't mean I don't want to be part of something, mm. but I'm happy to do something else, as an example. Anyway, yeah. that's my three-year view, so I, I hope it makes sense. No, that's beautiful. Maybe I can... Um on a bit of a different note. So I got traumatized the other day by Benjamin, so we went for breakfast. So we went to this really nice little place, and I say, Benjamin, may I recommend something for you or to you? I recommend something and says, no, I don't want that. Then I recommended a second thing to him, and he said, no, I don't want that. And then I got a bit worried because is there something wrong with my food choices? Which my wife probably thinks is true. There's lots wrong. But um, because I'm not a sophisticated eater. But um, 
it was no comparison to Benjamin. Benjamin, can you take the story to the next step? So after you you ditched me the second time on what to eat, you shared the story. <laughs> yeah, yes, if I know this was coming. Um, so yes, the reason I didn't uh, I didn't pick your your choices wasn't that it wasn't good choices. Is I, me and my wife actually changed our lifestyle about two years ago now to become vegan. And I have to admit, as a, I mean, I, I, I'm a South African, Afrikaans uh, boy or guy, whatever you want to call it. And my mom grew up in the Karoo, and, you know, meat is part of your daily, daily uh, intake. I mean, chicken is almost like a vegetable, they would say. Exactly. I, I'm of that opinion. So, <laughs> uh, so, yeah, so I grew up in that, and, and, and we just decided to change. And the reason we changed the lifestyle, again, is uh, probably a bit funny, uh, is that we, just, we watched uh, three programs or documentaries on Netflix. And I always say to people, please do not watch them if you do not want to change, because I promise you that after you've watched the documentaries, and again, it's, it's actually a little bit of everything. So the lifestyle change is partly health, but also partly for the planet. So the one documentary speaks about how companies uh, potentially impact the planet negatively by consuming all natural resources. And it's, uh, I think it's called Food Inc. is the one. The other one is called uh, Cowspiracy, and it speaks specifically about the meat industry and how they consume um, the resources. And the last one is Earthlings. Um, I do recommend that you do not watch Earthlings first, and it also if you have young children, not, because that is quite uh, unfortunately a bit, uh, bit sad in, in how we as humans uh, treat uh, the rest of the planet, including animals. Just a funny one on the, or interesting fact, not funny, is that if you look at uh, pollution, you know, you always, and I think here's where the conspiracy theory comes in, and there's a lot of conspiracy theories. You have to unfortunately get through them. You know, they always say you need to get some electric car and then, you know, don't you, uh, burn fossil fuels and that. If you look at the pollution of all the trains and all the planes and all the ships and all the cars on the planet, all of that, then even all of that, the pollution, doesn't come close to the food industry, which then include all the, the me mechanisms around to prepare food. But, uh, yeah, um, I have a funny one, though, and I did show it to someone at work the one day, and the person stopped drinking milk in their tea, so I feel a bit sad now. But there's a short one. So these are big, uh, long documentaries, one hour or so, and there's many other ones. You start watching it, Netflix I recommend 20 other ones. There's one called... Um, uh, Dairy is scary, and it's a five-minute one on YouTube, and it's done by a lady. It is really, really funny. She does one for milk and one for eggs. So I do recommend some people just to have a look if they want to have a bit of a laugh. It's called Dairy is scary, and uh, it talks about why, why, why should, why shouldn't rather sorry humans drink milk. But yeah, so my 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 that just a challenge. So when you go for breakfast, if, for quick for those that doesn't know vegan, it's any it's nothing. So no milk, no meat, no, no meat, no no animal products. So it's other side of vegetarian. <laughs> um, so you can only basically have vegetables and uh, and fruit. And, uh, and, and a breakfast, of course, with bacon and eggs, and that's quite challenging. Uh, we do cheat sometimes. This is not, as I said, a lifestyle change. Funny enough, the most, one of the most difficult ones, things not to eat uh, for us was uh, cheese. So when we have our pizza, we still have cheese on it. Because really, as I said, it's, it's like someone that decided to stop driving, I guess, a, a petrol car and have an electric car. You, you want to contribute. So that's what it's about. Uh, one quick last story is people always ask us where, where to get your protein from, you know, it's the big one. And then I sit there and I'm wondering, do you know where protein comes from? So protein comes from plants, it takes nitrogen and turn it into protein, and then the animals eat the plants, so that's where the protein really comes from. 
Um, so that is ultimately actually plant-driven, but yes, always where do you get your protein from? And uh, are you going to be okay? So just on that one, I had, I had an incident recently. I had to go to hospital for a few days, and uh, the doctor ran literally all the blood tests I've seen in my life. I've never seen so many blood tests. I thought they were going to drain me because I had some problem with my heart, and they came all back fine. So for those of them that worried about the diet, the diets, I said two years now, nothing wrong with my blood. And the, and the heart problem was also nothing to do with my diet in the end. So there it is. But uh, I'm sorry, Yusuf. I will <laughs> I'll take you to a place that does vegan food only one day, and you'll see this. It's actually quite nice. <laughs> no, my mother-in-law took me once to a place like that. He didn't improve the relationship. No, <laughs> <laughs> oh, um I must say I salute people like that. To make lifestyle choices like that is really, really good. I salute it. For me personally, it's just a bridge too far at this point. But maybe in a year or two's time when, you are, when you're fully agile, I might be a fully vegan. It's <laughs> like something like that. Maybe a closing question. If you could relate yourself to any animal or spiritual animal or if you think what animal do you relate yourself to? Yeah, well, it's an interesting one because people always ask these questions. Um, and then I try to, to, to think about myself. And the reason I, I, I always say is that it depends where I am in my life. So I think sometimes you want to be strong, sometimes you want to be caring, and sometimes you want to be loving. So at the moment, I, I think for me, it's, it's almost like a... It's like a cross between a, an owl and, a, and, an, and an eagle. And I guess the reason is I, I relate to an owl from a wisdom perspective and an eagle. I want to see where we're going into the future because we do need it right now. We need to make sure we set the strategy direct. So I guess that's where I'm right now. It's between those two. I need, I need, I'm looking for enough wisdom because we're making changes to our company and our people and you know it impacts people's lives. And I want to make sure that we do the right thing. But you, you also cannot uh, not uh, look into the future. You have to keep our eye on the ball, as we say, because Liberty has a bit of a tough time. Um, anyone can look at our uh, the information out in the public, and uh, we're busy turning it around, and you need to do both. So that's where I'm at the moment. Next time you ask me, I guess I might be a dolphin or something. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I doubt that. You don't. But do you know why they call the elder animal of wisdom? No, not really. Because <laughs> it can see in the dark. And I thought that was beautiful. Thank you very much, Benjamin. And I look forward to a next breakfast. And we can eat our own food. Thank yeah. you. Uh, we will. Thank you, Yusuf. And thank you Thanks. again for inviting me. It's a pleasure.